ticking away the moments that make up a dull day. Fritter and waste the hours in an offhand way. Kicking around on a piece of ground in your hometown, waiting for someone or something to show you the way. And you run and run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking. Racing around to come up behind you again. The sun is the same in a relative way. But you're older, shorter of breath, one day closer to death. Every year is getting shorter. Never seem to find the time. Plans that either come to naught or half a page of scribbled lines. Hanging on in quiet desperation is the English way. The time is gone. The song is over. Thought I'd have something more to say. There's a lot of good under the sun philosophy in rock and roll music. I saw some of you smiling when I was reading that because you were hearing that tune and hearing that song, right? That was Pink Floyd, and the song is Time. Do you ever think about time? Do you ever get caught up in thinking about time passing? I remember there was a season in my life when I was freaking out thinking about the passing of time and realizing that as I thought about it, it was passing and I couldn't stop it. We say funny things about time, don't we? Time flies when you're having fun. Or as one of my friends used to say, time's fun when you're having flies. Time is a great healer, but it is an awful beautician. Chuck Swindoll said that. It takes that one a second, doesn't it? Young people, you don't get that yet. Things tend toward decay. I want to think about time this morning, and you see, if you, if you were paying attention as I read it, time, 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 word over and over and over. As we've looked in, we've started in Ecclesiastes, we've seen big picture that everything under the sun, everything we see, hear, feel, taste, touch, everything that we experience in creation under the sun is... The, a lot of translations vanity, but really just a puff. It's temporary. It's transient. It doesn't last. It can't sustain your joy and satisfaction and hope. You have to look above the sun to God. And he concludes the book with doing exactly that. And we see glimpses of it as we go through. And even in the text we have before us today, Solomon is, is making some statements. He's pointing us to God. He's telling us what is the good way to go. He's, he's tried everything else and he's come to the conclusion that all is unworthy, unable to support you and to sustain your hope, your satisfaction, your joy. Everything under the sun is a puff. So look above the sun to God. Again, today our topic is time. I called it eternity in time. As we're going through time, we have to have an eternal mindset, a long view. We have to have a view of God. So eternity in time. Though it often seems when we just look under the sun that things are out of control. God is never out of control. He is sovereign. He is accomplishing His purpose. He has sent His Son 
to live, die, and be raised for us. And He has redeemed us and drawn us to Himself in Christ. And He wants us to have hope. Look to Him and you'll have hope. So main point of this passage, trusting God in His sovereignty is the only way to walk under the sun in peace and make the appropriate choices in life at the right time, you could add. But first, the stress of living in time. And that stress is alleviated, yes, as we look up. But there's, you know, there's some stress. Look, at, look back at verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Everything has an appropriate time, starting point, and duration. And it's all set and decided by God. The way that this language is put together in this section is, is just screaming to us that there is a God, that He's in control, that He's ordained all things. They happen exactly as He's laid them out. And there's proper time for everything. Man, as man, we respond to His providence. We respond to His plan. We respond to the way He has created us and the world around us and the way He orders and governs things through the laws of nature that He set forth, through the laws of His commandments and His Word, through who He is. We are not in charge. We cannot change the seasons, the nature of this life. But as we look to Him, then we find hope in the midst of this world that seems chaotic and we find an ability to rest and trust and step toward and grow in submitting to Him in the way He's created the world and making right choices in the midst of that. But everything has a season and everything has a time. Under heaven, God above heaven has set it in motion, is controlling it, is accomplishing His purposes so we can rest and have hope. And it's very interesting here that after saying that, that He gives us 14 opposites. That It's not an exhaustive list, but it kind of captures a lot of the events of our life. And, and so we want to look at those this morning. Again, we'll look at them briefly. So much could be said about each one of these. And uh, we're not going to do that this morning. But um, just briefly, look at these opposites, if you will. These, these couplets, these, you know, there's these opposites is a good way to put it. But look at the first one. It says that there is a time to be born and a time to die. Or a time to give birth and a time to die. So you read scholars on both sides of that. Is it talking about the giving birth part? And, or is it talking about the, the person being born? And um, So I'll, I'll leave that if you want to research that more. But the basic point is you are part of the succeeding generations. And think about this. Your time to be born and your time to die are set by God. You didn't sit back and watch and circle the date and say, okay, I want to be born then. And we certainly don't sit back and circle the date and say, I want to die then, right? But our times are in God's hand. The totality of our life is in God's hands. And He has a purpose for that, which is the end of this book, and we'll see it as we go through, that we might fear Him. He's up to good. Do we trust Him? But you did not choose when to be born and when to die. And all of the rest of these things we'll look at will fit in between those two in our lives. Right? 
But God is in control. He has put you here. He has a purpose for your life that He accomplishes when you even think you know what it is and when you don't. He's in control. You know, a lot of, we spend a lot of time trying to discover the hidden will of God. When if we just submit to God and to His revealed will, He guides us where He wants us to go. Acts 17, 24 and 27. Watch this. Paul preaching uh, on the Areopagus to, to the philosophers there and uh, preaching the gospel, doing it in a presuppositional way. We talk about that later. But he's, he's, not, he's starting with God. He's not working to God. He's starting with God. And he says this in, in Acts 17, 24 to 27. The God who made the world and everything in it. Notice he didn't say God's. The God the true and living God, who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, there's just one, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself, emphasis, gives life to all mankind. He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Every heartbeat that you have was given to you by God. There's a certain number of those beats ordained for you. And you've been a recipient of grace, even in that common grace, this, this day already. Whether you're a believer or not. And look at this. Now watch this. And He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined, watch this, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him, yet He is not actually far from each one of us. And He goes on to quote their poets to relate to them and call them to faith in Jesus. God made from one man every nation of mankind. And it's not just a general sort of kick it off and get it started. It says He's determined their periods, their allotted period, our time span on this earth, exactly where we'll live, He's in control of everything about us and His purpose is that we might fear Him. But God is in control. You were not an accident. You were planned before the foundation of the world. Your parents were the means through which God brought you into existence. And He has marked out your days. And His purpose for you is to fear Him. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Look what Psalm 139.16. This, this verse is a vast comfort to a lot of people. But he says this in Psalm 139, I encourage you to read the whole thing. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In other words, we were, he was, we were his plan. There's nothing to see if it's unformed. But in, in your book, now watch this. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So God not only just created mankind, but He created each one of us at exactly the right time. He has marked out every one of the days that we will have and His purpose for us in those days. Big, broad category is that we would walk in the fear of the Lord, in awe of the Lord, in reverence of the Lord, in trust of the Lord, in love of the Lord. That we would seek Him and find Him, it said in Acts. Though He's not far, everywhere present. Spirit working even this morning through His Word to both bring you to faith and grow you in grace. Submit to Him. 
But in God's sovereignty, in God's plan, in God's ordering, in God's decree, however you want to say it, in His sovereignty, there was a time to be born and a time to die, and it was marked out by God and all according to His plan. Look at this next one. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. So sort of a a farmer analogy here. That God has foreordained, He's set things, He's put things together, the seasons are His creation, exactly the right time. He's worked all things out. And it says here that there is a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. And how do we know when it's time to plant and when it's time to pluck it up? Well, we observe how God has created. We observe how He's put the seasons together. And we know that uh, depending on what kind of plant it is, when we need to plant it to have success. It's all according to His creation. He put the seasons together. And if we act according to the way that God has created, we have success. Generally speaking, doesn't mean you all have a green thumb. Some of us don't. Some of us have a brown one, and that's how the plants look that we plant. But if we act in accord with how God has created the universe... Realizing there's a time to plant and there's a time to harvest, and we can't change that, then in general we have success. You know, that's true in our crops and it's true in our lives. If we just realize who we are, who has created us, if we just see that Christ and His resurrection proves everything the Word says is true, and we line up with His creation and live the way His Word says, we have excess, success. But it says... Think about this. If you plant corn in November, it's not going to work. Corn's not a winter crop. Well, Cindy's looking at me, you know, whatever, what if you live in somewhere warm? That's exactly, I can read her eyes. If you've been around people that long, you kind of can see what they're saying. And a, North Carolina, if you plant your corn in November, it will not work out. There's a time to plant and a time to pluck up, all according to God's plan. It is sovereignly worked out in time. Look at, look at the next one. There is a time to kill and a time to heal. Sorry, pacifists. That's not biblical, by the way. There is a time to kill. And sometimes it's a righteous thing to kill. Please teach your children the truth about that. What was the flood? Yes, there was a worldwide flood that wiped out everybody but Noah and his descendants. That was God's judgment and it was right. And in fact, he had held off for a long time. But it was right for God to kill in the flood. How about just wars? There is a such thing. It was a good thing to do to fight against Nazi Germany and defeat Hitler. To do that, a lot of people had to be killed. It was necessary. It was all ordered and part of God's plan. How about defense of family and neighbor? Dads, you need to protect your family. And you need to be able able and willing to do that at the expense of somebody else's life if they threaten your family. It's your job. Be ready to do that. 
You don't need an armory in your house to do that, I don't guess. Getting, things are getting crazy. But you have a responsibility to protect life, not just, remember studying the commandments? Thou shalt not kill is not just not murder, which that's what it's talking about, but do everything necessary to preserve life. So it would be a just thing if you had to, to defend your family or even your neighbor to take somebody out. There is a time to kill. There's a time to heal. See, some killing is in line with God's purposes and some is not. Murder, when it says thou shalt not kill, it's talking about murder, not all killing in a blanket way. Some killing is not according to God's outlaying of things in His commandments, which murder is one. I just say it because it's such a plague on our nation, abortion. That's not justified. You made the choice before that baby was conceived. That's your choice. That's when choice is enacted. I'm pro-choice if it's God's way of choosing. But you never have the choice to kill another human being. You, you accept the consequences of your actions. Yes, I know there's some complicating things to talk about. But if you remember God is sovereign, He's in control, He's working, that not all things are good. Sometimes people hurt us and sin against us, but He's working all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. One of the reasons the judgment of God is falling on this nation is the multitude of babies that are being slaughtered. We're no better than the idolaters in Canaan that God displaced for Israel. It was a killing of convenience and idolatry. So it's not acceptable. Now, I'll say this too. If you have been part of an abortion, it's not the unforgivable sin. There's much grace for that. God will forgive and heal from that. But just because you've done it, don't justify it for other people. Look to God and His Word to see what is right. And so that leads into healing. There's a time to heal. We need to know how we're created. We need to know how we're put together, physically, spiritually, the whole way. Doctors know anatomy. They know how to apply medicines that are developed from creation to certain illnesses. There is a time to heal, many times. So there's a time to kill and a time to heal. Next, there's a time to break down and a time to build. I, you know, when I read this, I thought about home renovation because, I mean, we're in the midst of that. We, and just recently, I've had to tear out old floors and begin to put in new floors. There's a time to break down. There's a time to tear it down. If, if you buy an old house, and a lot of times you'll see people who do house flipping, the house will be so old and, and bad that they'll just bulldoze it and put a new one in its place. So there is a time to tear down. And there is a time to redo and rebuild. The time to tear down is not for you to take justice in your own hands and because you're upset about how somebody was treated to go out and destroy a city. That is sin, that is crime. You should be arrested and perse persecuted, okay, and prosecuted for that. That's not a protest. God will hold you accountable if you return even if it is evil that happened, if you are vigilante justice and take it into your own hands, you return evil for evil, judgment will come. 
Righteousness tells us, God's Word tells us when it's time to break down. We either have it directly addressed or we apply the principles of God's Word. So for somebody to be treated wrong over here and you go over here and treat somebody else wrong, how is that just? Another sermon, we'll talk more about that later. Time to break down, a time to build. A time, now look at this, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, and we'll couple that with the next one. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Yes, legalists, there is a time to dance. I won't do that for you now because I'm not very good at it. A time to weep and a time to laugh. There's an appropriate time for each. And we see that in God's Word. And as we realize He's in control of everything, then we're able to sort those things out. There's a time to weep and mourn, and it's appropriate. Christians mourn. We just don't mourn as those who have no hope, but we mourn. It's right to mourn. We're not Stoics. There's a time to laugh and to dance. And keeping those straight is important. I mean, crazy people get them crossed up, right? But keeping, weep when others weep. Laugh when they laugh. Mourn with those who mourn. Dance with those who dance. I don't have any problem with dancing. I mean, do it in a godly way. There's an appropriate time for each. And knowing when to do the right thing is important. Did you hear the story about the grandmother who got a phone and misunderstood the meaning of LOL? She thought it meant lots of love. And so people would post something like, my house burned down last night, and she would go, LOL. <laughs> my brother died last night. LOL. It doesn't mean that. It means laugh out loud. So getting it straight is important. Remembering God's in control is important. And the Word instructs us on what's appropriate in each season, sorrow or enjoyment. Find comfort in His sovereignty that will help you in the midst of your trials and troubles. Nothing happens outside of God's control and purpose. God never goes, Ooh, I didn't see that coming. Any trial that comes to your life comes through His loving and sovereign hands and has a purpose for good, and we won't understand that all of the time. A lot of times we just have to trust because certain situations we look at and we think, I don't see how this can be good at all for anything. But my brain's not as big as yours, Lord, so I trust you. Ephesians 1.11 says he works out all things, everything according to the counsel of his will. That he is good and always good, that he never treats anybody wrong. Nobody gets injustice. Some get mercy, some get justice. All deserve justice. He's sovereign in His mercy. Weep when it's appropriate to weep and mourn when it's appropriate to mourn and laugh when it's appropriate. It's good. Christians should be laughing people. We have too many Christians walking around like they were baptized in pickle juice. Legalism will lead to that Grace should put smiles on our faces. We should have a good sense of humor. Not a compromising one, but a good sense of humor. 
We should be laughing people and dancing people. Read the Old Testament. Boy, the Jews, they knew how to celebrate, right? They would dance and laugh and they would mourn and weep. and It's all part of life. Number seven, throw away stones and gather stones. I just thought about building again. You know, there's time to cull stones. Some are not good for the building. Some are, you know, there's time for clearing a field of stones so that you can cultivate it. Um, just there's a time to, to throw them away and a time to gather them. Embrace. Yes, there is a time to hug. Some of you are anti-hugites. You know, this, this corona thing is hard for me because I'm just a southern hugger and having to refrain. But, um, of course, if you step in and act like you want to hug, you'll get one. There's a time to hug. There's a time not to hug. So it, know when it's appropriate to show what way and what time to show outward affection. There is a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Be guided by the wisdom from God's Word. There's a time to seek and a time to lose. I, the time to, number 10, keep and a time to cast away. I, one, just one illustration. There is a time to seek a job or to seek a new job. There's a time to let a job go. Not just to sit home and be lazy but to take a different or a better job and, you know, maybe God's moving you in His sovereignty. There's time to hold on to things and there's a time to let them go. A time, a time, a time, a time, a time, a time, a time. A time to tear and a time to sow. If you read your Old Testament, you'll know there that many times in mourning or grief, they would tear their clothes. You see, when you read the Gospels, you see the high priest tear his clothes. Right? Passing judgment, mourning, grief, sackcloth and ashes. And then there's a time to sew those clothes back up once the mourning is over. See, this is not an exhaustive list, but God's sovereignty goes down to very nitty-gritty details in our lives. The next one. There's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Whew. Amen. A lot of wisdom needed. With many words, sin is in unavoidable, something like that from Proverbs. But some of us tend to err on the side of silence and we don't speak when we should. Some of us err on the side of just everything coming out. I remember a certain person used to work with two ladies and one talked too much and the other one didn't. And finally, when they were traveling in the car to a certain place, this one lady said the other lady's name. She said, you have got to shut up. You have given me a headache. <laughs> Some of us talk too much. Some of us can't stand a moment of silence. We get uncomfortable. Some of us live for those moments. Introverts, extroverts, don't let that define you. Let God's Word define you. But be wise when you speak and what you speak, and be wise what you say and don't say. There's a lot of questions that can get you in real trouble if you answer them. Husbands. Wives. Be people of truth, but be people of wisdom. Know when to speak and what to speak, and God will empower you and help you in that effort. But we need, think about Job's counselors. They should have stayed shut up. 
They were doing good, just being with him and weeping with him and mourning with him. But as soon as they started talking, they ran off the reservation and started accusing, you know, if bad things are happening to you, you must be sinning. See, their conversation wasn't coming from a, a, a place that really well understood God's word. They should have stayed silent. They spoke the wrong thing and they spoke too much. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouths, but only that which is good for building up. That's from Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouths. Some of us are too flippant with our words. Some of us are in context where cursing is the norm. Where crassness is the norm. And if you're not careful, it starts coming out of your mouth or out of your posts or... Speak for God's glory and be silent when you need to. Next, look at this. And we don't like this one either a lot of times. There's a time to love and a time to hate. There is a time to love and a time to hate. Full gamut of emotions there. See, many think that it's only ever appropriate to love and that it's never appropriate to hate. Be careful with that. Well, God hates to sin, but He loves a sinner. Well, there's a sense in which that is true. But listen to this. This is Psalm 5, 5 and 6. The boastful, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. Now hold on to your seat. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. Now watch this strong word. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. That's worthy of your study to realize that, yes, God not only hates the sin, He hates the sinner. Now His mercy comes into the picture and He is saving a a bunch of people and Jesus died for his enemies, yes, but that doesn't mean all hatred has been removed from God. Let me just give you some homework so we're not here till Monday. But read Psalm 11.5. Read Psalm 31.6. Read Proverbs 6.18 and, and just think about it. There's more we could say and more, more to explain, but I think it's good sometimes to just let you sit with something and have to work on it a little bit rather than making it, giving the easy answer and quick answer. So read Psalm 11.5, Psalm 31.6, Proverbs 6.18. And if you look at the references, there'll be a lot more. But there's more than one reference to God hating evil and evildoers. And there's more than one reference to God's people hating those who don't follow Christ. There is a time to hate and a time to love all works out in God's plan and according to His Word. Now look at the next one. Again, it's, hard, it's a hard day for a pacifist, but there's a time for war and a time for peace. There's a time for war, and we alluded to that earlier. There's a time for peace, and when it comes to national conflict, as well as when it comes to personal conflict, when it comes to growth in your spiritual life, we are never to be at peace with sin. We're never to be at peace with Satan. 
We're never to be at peace with the fallen world system that promotes rebellion against God. We're never to compromise in order to reach those who are sinful. We will be at war with sin until the day we die or Jesus comes back. And that's the way it should be. That's called growth in grace. John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. There's no gray area in between. And the characteristic of a true child of God is that they are fighting against and putting sin to death by God's means, His grace, His word, prayer, His people, community. So there, there's never a time for peace with evil. It was right to go to war with Nazi Germany. It, it's also right to make a righteous peace whenever we can. To be humble, to be forgiving, to be reconciling. To, to, as we have received God's grace and forgiveness, we extend it to others. When we refuse to extend it to others, we're telling God we don't want it. The characteristic is God works a forgiving heart, a peacemaker's heart in those that He saves, but never a compromising peacemaker. We stand on truth. We don't compromise truth for unity because it's not a real unity when you do that. We're always at war with sin because we're always at peace with Jesus. And if the cross doesn't convince us that there's a war that's worthy of fighting, I don't know what will. Someday all wars will end and there will be only peace. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. His word says they will beat their swords into plowshares, but we don't live there yet. So we face many decisions on a daily basis and we must be rooted in God to know the appropriate choice to make. We must be rooted in His plan and confident in Him and rested in Him know that, that He is under control of all things and will work all things together for our good. And sometimes the stands that we take in these or other situations will get us in trouble on an earthly level. We have to be okay with that. God is in control. Seek His way. Secondly, We've got to move on or we will be here a long time. The peace of resting in eternity or in God. Eternity in time was the title and it's mentioned here. So he used it. Look at verse 9. What gain has the worker from all his toil? This is the question we're seeing over and over. If you look back in 1-3, you'll see it there. And he said, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. I've seen this life. Remember, God has created. God rules. He has... His law in place. Men have sinned and rebelled against God. God has judged. Along with sin comes misery. And just living under the sun is a miserable business. And miserable business, and it should be. It's supposed to be. If we won't look above the sun, we should have a lot of misery. Not all, not all sinners have a lot of misery in this life. And that is, you know, there's, there's some struggle for believers until we look to the judgment. The psalmist said, there's hardship, struggle just to live daily life. There's misery under the sun. It's a miserable business. We've seen that already looking at another text. But now we come to Solomon's first conclusion. This section, he begins to wrap it up. And he, his first conclusion is that God has not left us in a world without beauty and appropriateness. And his sovereignty has to be in, in the picture, knowing that he's 
ordained all things and working all things and will work all things together for good. But he says this, he has made, verse 11, he has made who? God. God has made. It didn't just happen. It didn't, it's not by chance. He has made everything beautiful in its time. God has made everything beautiful. In other words, He will work everything together for good, for His glory and for His children. And it will take faith to see that many times. The choices that we face and make are beautiful choices when we make the right ones, whether to love or hate, war or peace, silence or speak. He's not left us in a world without beauty. And there's an appropriate time in a right way to make all of those choices. We are in His hands. So believe and live so that you know how to live wisely. But He says He's made everything appropriate or beautiful in its time because He's in control. Now watch this next section. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart. He's put eternity. Second conclusion, God has put eternity into man's heart. <clears throat> Little translation issue here, work it out really quickly. But the King James Version translate that word world right there. But that's not right. It put word instead of eternity. But the very same word in verse 14, the King James translators translated forever. Use it in both places. Eternity forever. It should be eternity. The best translation is going to be eternity there. God has put eternity into man's heart. Man is created in God's image and has an innate knowledge of God. There's enough evidence in creation, God says, to hold every person without excuse. God's existence, His power, his nature is clearly revealed, so clearly revealed in creation that we are without excuse for believing. And in fact, they are no true atheists. They all know God. I'm going to let you read Romans 1. That's what Paul says. We know God, but we, we refuse to submit to Him. Apart from God's grace and before He saves us, I remember that, running from God. Jesus said, this is the crisis, the judgment, the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light, so they won't come into the light because they know their deeds will be exposed. So we get awfully high-minded sometimes. But God has put eternity. He's put an innate sense of God. Deep down, we all know there's more to life than this under-the-sun existence. We all know that it shouldn't be this way, that there's more, that, that, that we yearn and search for more. We want to live forever. We just don't know how to look and where to look. God has put eternity in our hearts. There's a God-shaped vacuum, some have said, and it won't be filled until it's filled with God and satisfied in Him. God has put eternity into our hearts. Solomon's second conclusion here. Without submission to God, man lives in the frustration of life in a fallen world with no reliable interpretation. If there's no God, there's no truth. And that's postmodern mess that's got us into the place we live in in our culture right now, that everybody's truth is their own truth, and their feelings determine who they are, and on down the road we can go. You can tell I'm getting a little bit put out with all this stuff around us, and about ready to just let some, let some rhetoric 
and hopefully in a godly way go. But without submission to God, we are doomed to frustration. We have no reliable interpretation. We can't really figure things out on our own. It says, man has, God has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot figure out what God has done from beginning to end. The things that are revealed... The hidden things belong to God, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The things that are revealed belong to us and our children that we may keep His commandments, it says, that we might love Him. Everything's beautiful in its time. It's a mystery right now, living on this side of the, of, of the sun in eternity, looking at it from God's wisdom and from God's side, you see He's working out His plan. We have to trust Him with that now. Everything is beautiful and appropriate in His time. And though we can't figure all things out on our own, He has given us everything we need for life and godliness in His Word. So that, verses 12 and 13, and we looked at this already, so I'll just read through it. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to do than be joyful and do good as they live, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. Simple pleasures. Simple life. Eat and drink and have pleasure in our work is for us if we submit to God, realize who we are in Him, what His purpose is for us, and what His mission is that He has us to be a part of. We won't be looking to our job to satisfy us or to our retirement to satisfy us or to anything else to satisfy us. We'll be looking to God to satisfy us so that we can fully devote ourselves to Him in this life and find enjoyment where He has laid it for His children. Look at the final conclusion Solomon puts forth in verse 14. He points us back to God's sovereignty. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. What does that mean? God's will and His way, God's decree, God's, God's actions, His sovereignty, His plan, His purpose is perfect. And He perfectly works it out. It endures forever. Nothing can be added and nothing taken away. He has a perfect plan that He foreordained before time. He is sovereign, so we should trust Him and know His work is complete and nothing can improve it. And He does all of this. Remember Acts 17, but right here, he, He's given us enough and He's done all this. It says at the end of 14, God has done it so that, purpose statement, whenever you see so that, it's, there's a purpose coming. Why did he do it? This is why he did it. So that people fear before him. He's done it. He's revealed it to us so that we would fear him. So we just walk around all day cringing. God's going to, he's out to get me. He's out to spoil my fun. Nothing good ever happens to me. No, that's what Luther would have called the servile fear or the servant's fear that feared the lash of an evil master. Filial fear or family fear is the kind of fear that a kid would have of a good dad where you love your dad and you want to please your dad and you want to do what, what honors him and you hate to bring disrepute to his name. It's reverence and awe and love for God and fear of him. See, God's given us enough and his purpose in everything is that we might... Yes, find Him, Acts 17, and fear Him. Live with Him and live for Him. He displays His glory that all may fear Him. And we saw that again in Acts 17. 
What is, what it, if, if those of you who know it, uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism question one says this, what is the chief end of man? What is man's chief purpose? What was man, women, man, men, women, boys and girls, what were we created for? Two things there. Yeah? Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Our joy is tied up in His glory. If we really trust Him, we'll find it, right? But it, Piper changes it a little bit. He says glorify God by enjoying Him forever. There is no glorifying without enjoying, enjoying Him. And I understand that. Being pleased in Him. But we are created to glorify and enjoy Him. And this is telling us that we have everything we need to glorify and enjoy Him. That He's in control. That He is watching over us. He is leading and guide us. He is with us and for us. He'll enable us to choose, according to His Word, the right purpose and plans and actions in our life as, and, and as we rest in His sovereignty and seek to live for His glory. Whatever He does is perfect. So that people will fear him. That which is already has been. You find a lot of different um, opinions about what the last part of this means. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. In other words, it's been planned by God. It's been worked out by God. You know, a lot of times you see history repeat. It's all those things. And God seeks what has been driven away. Some translations there will say God brings the past into account. So which that, would, that would sort of be like where he ends the book. That there is coming a judgment. God is in control. He is working out His plan. He is with us and for us. And the cross should convince us that He will withhold nothing good from us. Stop fighting against God's sovereignty and rest in it. You won't understand it all, but His Word teaches it. Rest in it. Uh, Dr. Shaw quoted, I don't, I'm forgetting who he quoted here, but it's a good statement. I think it was a musical. Anyway, here's the quote. Your arms are too short to box with God true and why would you want to when you look at the cross and see what he's done for you nothing new he's working out all his purposes he is saving a people to dwell with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth how well if you'll just be good enough he'll accept you thank you a lot of heads are going you're no longer qualified to preach <laughs> that would be true if I meant that no We've sinned and fallen short of His glory. We've rebelled against Him and denied Him and wouldn't have Him rule over our lives. We've gone our own way. We haven't kept His commandments in thought, word, and deed. We deserve rejection. We deserve wrath. But God, at just the right time, sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live for us and fulfill His law perfectly to provide a righteousness for us that we don't have. And then He took our sin upon Himself and died paying the penalty for our sin on the cross. He took the wrath due us on Him and drank it dry and said from the cross, it is finished. He went into the grave under the power of death for a time and He rose the third day, appeared to over 500 people at once, ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand. What? The place of power. He's reigning now to see His gospel go to the ends of the earth. And His gospel is that He died. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and He was raised the third day according to the Scriptures, and that salvation is a free gift to you if you'll repent and believe it. Will you repent? Turn from self and pursuing your own way to God and receive His Son 
as your only hope for salvation. See, judgment is coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? Do you trust this God who's in control? Who tells us accurately that there's a time for all these things and that He's in control of the seasons and moments and the duration of all of it. Who's given us His Son and given us His Word and given us His Spirit that we might know Him and love Him and have joy. Don't forget it. There's in the midst of this passage that we might have joy in the midst of this life. So trusting God and His sovereignty is the only way to walk under the sun in peace and make the appropriate choices in life. That last line of the first verse in Pink Floyd's time said, we are waiting for someone or something to show us the way. That is what Solomon's trying to do. Showing you the emptiness of everything under the sun. Your need for God. To have your heart and your treasure tied in God. In Christ, by faith and faith alone. Solomon is showing us the way to live under the sun in fellowship with God for the glory of our sovereign God. And that is certainly what Christ has done. Blazed the trail for us. A trail of faithfulness and dependence and self-sacrifice for the glory of God and the good of His people. Calling us to die to ourselves, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow Him. Don't wait till you've got it all figured out. The cross is enough for you. Turn and trust Him and follow Him. Walk the path of dependence on God because of His grace, knowing that you are forgiven of all of your sins by trusting in Christ, clothed in His righteousness, filled with His Spirit, the same power that raised Him from the dead, and you have hope beyond this life. Follow Christ. He is worthy to live as Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we've blown through a lot here this morning. It was difficult to prepare for and difficult to preach. But we needed to see this whole section. And I just pray that you would apply it to our hearts and lives and give us faith to trust you when life is hard, when life is easy. Give us a faith that believes your word about your sovereignty and rests in you. Give us a humility so that we don't have to understand everything. That we trust the Savior who lived for us and died for us and was raised from the grave. And that you have explained enough to us in your word. If we will just seek it there. That we can live a life of godliness and joy. Even in the midst of this troubled world. Lord, save those who are not trusting you this morning. Plant seeds of the gospel. Lord, but grow us in grace, those of us who are trusting you. And make Christ the center, the joy, the delight, the purpose of our lives. Fill us with your word and spirit that we might trust, love, and honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.